Podcasting from anywhere other than a jail cell, this is Soberholic, a podcast created to encourage, equip, and inspire you to overcome your hurts, habits, and hangups. And now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Welcome to Soberholic Podcast. My name is Roger. I'm happy and grateful to be here today. And Jason, let me tell you, we've got a special guest today. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm you- excited about this. You haven't really gotten to hear his story yet. No. And honestly, I've not even heard his story, but I've met him in person. And he's been, man, just a super humble guy. Uh, the first time that um, I ever went and spoke at another church due to our podcast was at this guy's church. And I fell in love with the people at his church, man. Um, so he called or actually emailed and asked, asked me if I would come share um, my story at his church and also preached there on Sunday morning. But, um, he's like, man, we're just a, a super small church. I don't want to give you the effect that we're this huge, massive church. He's like, we're in Dover, Tennessee. I've never even heard of Dover, Tennessee, beautiful country there. I can tell you that. But, um, so I was like, data, it's not about the size of the church. It's not about any of those things. We simply just want to go share the message. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, uh, I said, you know, if you'll just help us with, with just get me up there with, you know, the hotel room, we're good. He's like, oh, man, we got you handled. So we got there. And I met all the people there. Just great. I can't say that enough. Great bunch of people there. Mm-hmm. Really fell in love. We even had different, uh, like, we're from two different denominations. And, you know, sometimes in the Christian communities, people, like, really get on, on hangups with that. Well, he knew that I didn't really have a problem with that. And, obviously, they didn't have a problem with that with me. And like there was none of nothing like that, any kind of problems like that. We That's were awesome. simply just there to share recovery and share hope with one another. And yeah. it was just great. Man. I just I can't talk enough about that. Well, what I like about ha- having our guest on, especially since the lockdown, COVID nineteen, all that stuff, is it's since I haven't really been, I've only gone to one meeting in the past three months. It's it's like I'm getting to go to a meeting, you know. Right. So let's do it. Let's do it. Well, let me introduce Ben Robertson and to our new stream. What's up, Ben? How's it going, guys? Really, we good are doing good. Doing good. Glad to have you on the show. I, I joked a little bit with you right before we got started. Um, Jason and I, we talk about different fans and different people that listen to the show. And we have this term, and maybe it's a term that other people use too, but we call them a super fan. <laughs> and there's, there's these people that listen to you that have, no reason to listen to you. You know, like my mama's going to listen to the podcast because it's my mama. You know, right. my mom's going to listen to it to make sure I'm not talking about her. But then there's no reason that you have to listen to our show other than you want to hear about recovery. That's right. That's and right. So, I don't know. It blows me away. You know, sometimes that Jason, he'll give me like the analytics of what's who's listening and, you know, where they're listening from and those things. And there's people that will like binge listen to us. And they'll literally, I think we're at 70, 70 plus episodes. And I'm thinking, that means like you listen for 35 hours. And I mean, who does that? And I'm not yeah. saying you did. I don't think that you've done that. But uh, I know when I went and spoke at your church, um, you know, you talked about some of the different episodes that we had, t- we had talked about. So I knew that you had listened to us and I knew that you um, agreed with what we said or you wouldn't ask me to come speak at your church. And so it was humbling to get to be asked to come, but it was also more humbling being with you guys because here I was traveling across state from Alabama to Tennessee and going to a bunch of people that I never had known 
and never met other than through a few emails you and I had had. And I found out that the people in Dover, Tennessee, have recovery just like the people here in Birmingham, Alabama. That's right. That's right. So it, was just, it, was, it was cool to meet, to meet you and to meet everybody else there. So thanks for having me there. But thanks, more importantly, for coming on the show and sharing with us today. Um, what I wanted to do for you today was to talk to our listeners about recovery. And probably the best way for you to share recovery the same way we do is just through your story. So would you be willing to talk to us about your story, maybe how it was in the beginning? Yeah, I'll try. Uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, I don't. my story's not as extravagant as a lot of them. I don't have as, as many... Um, you know, as much to it, um, it's probably a lot of them you heard before, you know, I, um, I grew up right, right outside of the town you visited, uh, Dover. I grew up in a little town called Indian Mound and, and, uh, you know, I had a, a great home life, great parents. Um, you know, I was, uh, I'm, a lot of people don't believe this, but, um, I lived, you know, under my parents' roof for a little more than 18 years and, and I never, um, heard them raise their voice at each other uh mm -hmm. not one single time in in my whole life and um they were just they just got along well and they just uh you know worked things out the right way and that kind of thing and my my home life was extremely stable was in church um most every time the doors were open there was a couple of years there where we were out of church but uh, uh for the most part we was in church all the time and uh um looking back on it you know uh it kind of <laughs> um I kind of think I, I just thought that people just got along that way. You know, <laughs> uh, that's just what I seen. And, and that's why I seen it every day that was, you know, my parents would, would go out of their way to do for each other and to help each other. And, and, uh, I thought that's the way that people function, you know, and, and, <laughs> uh, when I, got, yeah, that was funny. Uh, when I got out in the real world, of course, you know, things were different, but, um, my home life was great, but my school life was not, um, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a time where, uh, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot growing up and, and uh, uh, things like that. And I was kind of always have been kind of socially awkward and that kind of thing, you know, and early on in junior high uh, or late elementary. We didn't have a junior high uh, in Stewart County, but, um, you know, I, I was my school life got pretty rough. Um, and uh, I start there because I think that's kind of where I started trying to fit in and couldn't. You know, and that's probably where things started kind of uh, getting complicated for me. But um, uh, I, I don't know how to, uh, you know, shorten. I hope I, I don't uh, skip too much. But but so starting out there, you know, I was, uh, you know, how it is in junior high among boys, you know, the, the, the rungs of the social ladder and how you try to climb those rungs and that kind of thing. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I never was big on confrontation, never did like confrontation. And uh, I remember getting into an altercation young when I was younger, probably in, I don't know, eighth or ninth grade or something like that. And um, it, it something uh, when I got when I finally I, I went to unreal um, lengths to avoid confrontation. Uh, I just didn't I didn't want anything to do with it. Well, when I finally got to a point where I would go down that road, um uh, it wasn't a it wasn't a good place for me. I I remember uh, just kind of going cold through that, and and uh, uh, I hurt 
the guy a whole lot, <laughs> a whole lot more than I meant to. And it kind of scared me, you know, when I did that. So after that was over with, I never, uh, I just wouldn't go down that road anymore. It didn't matter what happened to me, what people did to me or whatever. I just wouldn't go down that road. And, uh, people would take advantage of that, you know, in school. And, and so, uh, I went through school through all of high school with just a handful of friends and it wasn't very many of us. And, and, uh, uh, you know, like I said, I was just kind of socially awkward and all that stuff and re- just didn't know how to relate to people and how to fit in. And, uh, and I don't know why I was like that. You know, I wasn't the way my home life and all that, there really wasn't any reason to be like that. I don't think, but, uh, but it's just the way I was. And so, uh, uh, so, you know, we, we kind of, I kind of got through high school. I got married, uh, right out of high school. Um, I didn't, you know, all through high school, I didn't, you know, I was the outcast. I didn't have a whole lot of girlfriends or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I latched on to, uh, to this, uh, girl and, and right out of high school got married and it lasted, uh, it lasted about a month, but we stayed married about a year, you know, and, uh, it was toxic and, and terrible. And, and we got divorced and not long after that, I met my second wife and, uh, me and her were married for, uh, eight years. And, uh, um, she, she was, uh, uh, we, 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 let me back up. So, so when we first met right after my divorce, I first uh, met this girl, we were kind of doing the bar scene. I met her in the bar, you know, we were running around the bar scene and doing that thing. Well, uh, uh not long after that, I started was playing. Was you a singer or a pool guy? Do I now? If you was at the bar, was you the was you a singer or was you a guy playing pool? I was actually a drummer. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, a drummer. I started, you know, we started out doing the karaoke bars and stuff like that, and I had played drums back years ago, and I laid it down, you know. So I picked them back up <laughs> and okay. uh, and started playing drums for local bands, just you know, local rock bands, garage bands, and stuff like that. And uh, uh, that was. Uh, that that was when I started playing music and started playing in these clubs and bars and things. Instantly, I started to fit in. Um, you know, all these years of trying to find a place to fit in and trying to relate to people and trying to make friends and trying to do all this stuff. Well, when I started playing in these uh, bars and clubs and stuff, all that just kind of started happening. You know, without even trying. Um, and uh, I was with a band that caught some local success. You know. And uh, we done okay around around town here and kind of breezily or, or whatever. Um, and uh, so, um, you know, a lot of this stuff that I had missed in high school, the, the girls and, the, you know, the partying and all the stuff that went along with that just was it came easy after all this, you know. And then, of course, the party life came with it. Um, and my, my wife at the time uh, was struggling, but I didn't know it. I didn't. I, I never understood addiction or um, recovery or, you know, any of these things. I, I just thought that, you know, I thought that recovery meetings were for people who uh, the judge made them go or, you know, or something like that. They'd lost it. I mean, I never understood any of this, these things. And, you know, in my wife at the time, I would think that she would just, you know, she was just, uh, she just liked to do what she was doing. I didn't understand, you know, the whole thing with addiction and all this stuff and, um, so anyway, we, we, our relationship went bad and I didn't know where she was at or how to address it or even that it was an issue. I thought she was just making decisions, you know, that, that we couldn't live through. And, 
And uh, so, uh, so we ended up getting divorced. And, and after that, um, you know, I was playing the clubs with the band and we was doing all that. And I had started, uh, I had went into business for myself doing construction work. Um, the guy that I used to work for, um, uh, had helped me get started. And, uh, um, by this time, um, I'm, I'm terrible at timelines. I'm awful at timelines. So I'm trying to put it all together. Uh, but you know, I've, by this time I was playing probably three or four nights a week. Oh, wow. Um, I was, uh, the vice president of a motorcycle association. Um, and, uh, I was a business owner, uh, you know, doing construction work. And, uh, uh, I, I always worked, um, I always held a job, you know, like I said, my story is not that sensational. I never, uh, gotten a lot of trouble on, you know, or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I was always able to hold my job down, but I, I learned, you know, I'll get to that later, I guess, but I learned through recovery that that was part of my issue, you know, that part of misplaced my identity in my work or whatever was part of uh, the problems that was going on. So, um, so as we kept playing, you know, and kept doing what we was doing, I met my wife that, uh, that you met, uh, Roger Marcy. Um, and, uh, right. we met in a bar. Uh, I don't like to tell that too much because I don't want people to think that's a great place to be right. But <laughs> we did meet it. And, uh, at one of our gigs that we were playing that night and, uh, she was about in the same shape I was, you know, she was uh, partying every time she got a chance. We were running the bar scene. Um, I was drinking, uh, every night by this time. I, I never did. I never did mess with, uh, I, I didn't mess with drugs a whole lot. Occasionally, um, you know, I, I would mess with, uh, something, to, you know, cocaine or something to keep going, you know, with all this going on with the work and the play and, you know, and all that. But, um, but I was, uh, uh, drinking a lot by this time. And, uh, my wife was too, um, or soon to be wife. And, uh, so we kept kind of living that lifestyle and, and doing what we was doing. Um, well, along about 2000 and, uh, well, let me back up. So we found out that we were going to have a baby, um, my son. Um, and I didn't, you know, my first marriage and through all that, I, I never did, uh, really plan for kids, but I never did really prevent kids either. So I, I thought by this time I couldn't even have kids and, and then I, I, we found out that we were going to have a baby and we got, um, we got married and then, uh, uh, my son was born in 2007. Um, and I was still, you know, working the business and doing all the things that I had been doing previously. You know, it, it slowed my wife down, but it didn't really slow me down a whole lot. And, and uh, uh, so in 2008, um, uh, with the economic downturn the business started to go downhill too uh, you know and uh by this time by the time my son was about two i had almost quit playing uh music i'd, I'd pick something up every now and then but i wasn't playing nothing like i was um but i was still you know we were still i mean i was you know drinking to go to bed you know to get to sleep and and that kind of thing had a lot going on uh the business was uh I, the business on me instead of me owning the business you know um especially when the economy started to turn down i i couldn't hire enough help to uh that i needed but uh so you know it left me a lot to have to do on my own and uh, uh so that's when uh that's when drinking really became therapy 
therapeutic for me. You know, it, it mm-hmm. came to a point to where um, it was just how I coped with everything. Um, and uh, when, so you drank, when, when you drank, Ben, did you drink alcoholically? Or did, I mean, like, like for me, when I drank, I drank to pass out. There was no stopping. But was you still able to manage? Like, I'm just going to have a few tonight to, to go to sleep or – not not usually uh usually you know i was i mean like i said i could always hold my job you know um now if it it was you know i worked construction so i mean if it started raining i was you know that was uh 11 o'clock start instead of a four o'clock start but um but uh it was you know it was drinking till until I fell out just to, nearly every night, not every night, but, um, you know, you get to a point to where you, you, uh, you don't feel right. If you feel right in the morning, you know, <laughs> so I, I kind of got there. And, uh, uh, so, you know, the, the business started sinking more and more and more. And, uh, everything that we had got repossessed except the house, you know, they didn't repossess my office. I didn't even know that could happen, but, uh, but they did. And, uh, uh, so, you know, I, I, uh, kind of got to the end of my rope and, uh, um, uh, through the wonders of Facebook, um, uh, uh, somebody that I had dated, uh, years ago kind of started messaging me and things like that. And, um, you know, by this point, like I said, we were losing everything. Me and my wife were fighting all the time. And, uh, uh of course, you know, I was drinking, you know, every night and, um, you know, I just came to realization one day, since it can't be my fault, it must be my family's fault. So it was time to <laughs> do away with that, you know? Um, and, uh, I, so, do. I sure do. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, so I told, you know, I told Marcy that I wanted, uh, that I was, I was going to get out and, uh, we started talking about, um, arrangements for the kid at the time. We only had my son and how we were going to do that and, and everything. And, um, and I, you know, I don't really know what happened, but, uh, at this time I was working, uh, seven days a week trying to try, just trying to take care trying not to get sued, you know, from, uh, trying to finish up contracts with the business and things like that. And, and uh, um, uh, and I just walked in the house, my office was outside and I just, uh, it was in a, another building outside and I just walked in the house one night and I told her, I said, you know, um, uh, me and you both know what's missing and and we can either get that part right or not. My wife also grew up, uh, her, uh, you know, my mom was a Sunday school teacher. My dad was a deacon. Her grandfather was a minister and her parents were Sunday school teachers, you know, and, and, uh, and, and that's all I said. And, and, uh, so when I come back in later that night, we started talking about finding a church and I told her that, um, you know, of course, I was too busy to go. That was she could go find a church, you know, with my son. And I, <laughs> I was too busy, you know. So, uh, so I went ahead and went to work and done what I did. And she she was uh, going to church for a couple of weeks, and we found this little bitty church down in Dover. And I went there one night, and uh, uh, Braxton Hunter. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was preaching there that night. He's uh, uh, he's fairly well known. Uh, 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 with the Southern Baptist now, he's got a podcast also. And, um, he was there preaching that night. And I remember, I don't even remember what the sermon was about, but I remember, uh, going to the, uh, 
I mean, I was in a bad spot. You know, I was ready to give up on everything. I'd lost everything. Uh, I finally got to a point where I'd, I'd pulled myself up, you know, to some kind of comfort financially. And then I lost all that. Um, <clears throat> and I was finally coming to the realization that it was me that, you know, that had caused it to go away. And, Wasn't and everybody I, else's fault, huh? Right, right. Yeah. I finally, you know, kind of come to that spot. Um, and I, I, but I remember, I remember there was an altar call that night and in the play, the altar just flooded with people. And like I said, we have been, by the time this, uh, and I skipped a little bit, but by the time this revival happened where I was here and all this happened, we have been going to church there probably about a month. My wife had been going there probably a month and a half or two months. And, uh, everybody, you've seen how big Dover is, Roger. Um, well, everybody who'd ever been in a Baptist church knew my mom and dad. You know what I mean? Like it was, I mean, they was, you know, they was just there all the time. And, and, uh, so I came up front and like I said, there was three ministers or so there and I was playing music every once in a while at the church by this time and everything. And, and, uh, uh, a bunch of people went up front. Well, when I went up front too, I guess they thought that I was coming up to help them. So everybody just kind of, you know, left me alone. And I kind of went over to the piano bench by myself and, uh, you know, I remember my prayer that day was that, uh, you know, I just pretty much told God, you know, I don't know where we are now, but I know where I want to be when we leave here. Um, and, uh, and I really tried to give my life to Christ that night, but I don't, I don't think I really knew what that meant. You know, I thought it was going to an altar and saying a prayer and, you know, then everything's great. I didn't really know, um, exactly what all that meant. And, uh, we left there that night. And uh, things got better, and that's the night that I, uh, about 10 years ago or so, that I started to abstain from drinking. Um, and uh, and we, uh, you know, I, I took a job on the road so we could get some bills caught up, and my stepson was helping clean up the business, you know, doing the end of contract stuff and helping clean that up and, and everything. And, uh, and then... Uh, um, I was, it was so, it was so weird. Cause I went to, I went to work for this company out of Kentucky and we had to travel all the time. So I was gone. I would leave the house on Sunday and, uh, I'd come home on Thursday night or Friday morning, most weeks. And, uh, but, but during that time I had a five man crew and they play cards and drink and, you know, you know, just do the construction guy thing, you know, every night. And uh, it gave me time to get away by myself and get in the Bible. Cause one thing, one of the things I prayed for uh, was for God to strip me of what I thought I knew and teach me, you know, what I need to know. And uh, it gave me a year, a solid year of just, you know, having a lot of time. And I don't mean, you know, I, I miss my family, but it was, it was just time to study and to learn about who God was and his character and his heart. And, uh, and, during that time I had started, uh, uh, I remember praying in church, uh, for God to break my heart for what breaks his heart. And I don't even think I heard that song that says, uh, you know, I think casting crowns has got a song. I don't know if it was out at that time, but I don't remember ever hearing it, but I remember praying that prayer. And, and uh, uh, so we were in church there for about, uh, about seven years, six or seven years, you know, we was, we was doing all that. And I was, um, uh, it's not, you know, I, I wasn't drinking, but I was, I, I was doing the church thing, 
where it was a you know it was a Sunday ritual for us. That's what we did. We went to church and we pretended like everything was okay, and we smiled when we walked in the door. And you know, we were always blessed uh, and better than we deserve, you know, and all that stuff and shaking hands and and uh, uh, but my wife probably at that time would have rather me been drinking because I was a much different person when I was uh, at home. You know, I was irritable. I was hard to get along with. I wasn't medicating anymore, so I was you know lashing out, and I just wasn't a very good person to be around. You so know, it sounds like that. You came to that point there at that altar call just, you know, a little while back on your story, you were saying that, you know, you realized you were spiritually bankrupt and you were trying to make that right. But yet you had not really came to the recovery part of this yet. You were just kind of kind of doing the Christian thing the best you could. Right. But it sounds like you just w- was really good at putting a mask on and doing what you were supposed to do is what they tell you as a Christian to do. But yet you just lived it those few hours at church. Yes. And that's what I thought that's what Christianity was, right. you know, and, and I'm not saying that the people I grew up with, I'm not saying that that's what they taught me, but somehow that's what I took away from it. You know, I just thought you were supposed to act right and talk nice, and, you know, um, so what, you know, what happened? I mean, I know that all this leads to that, but how did, what brought you, I mean, cause at this point you, you seem to have been looking for Christ, whether or not you've become a believer at this point in your life, I don't know. I know you've made the attempt, but was your heart right? I don't know. But um, there, there had to come a point, because I know that, that you're that, that some people get sober just in, in there, and that's where it is, and that's, that, that, and that's great. But I, I know that you, you, you've made up your path through recovery, too. Where, where did that start, and how did you get into recovery? Okay, so... So we were in, uh, we were in church. We had, uh, we had left the little church that we started out at. We started going to a, a minister was going to plant a church and he had asked me about playing music there. And I told him that I would when he got the church going. So we went to the church where you were. Uh, we went there for about a month, uh, while this church was getting started. And I went up there and play, started playing music. Well, he was, we were doing a Bible study one night and he said, uh, uh, he started asking people um, about what the needs were uh, in our community. What, what could the church do? What were the needs in our community? Now, Dover, Tennessee had no recovery programs at all that I know of. I think there was an AA that met sometimes, uh, but nobody really knew about it or how to, how to get in there or whatever. And uh, uh, so he had asked, he, he asked the church, you know, he went around and asked, you know, it was kind of a loaded question. He asked, what, what do you think our community can use? What do you think, you know, we could do? And when it came to around to me, I had said addiction because I'd lost so many friends in addiction. You know, so many people when I came out of lifestyle didn't and, you know, and, uh, and things like that. And, and, uh, uh, and he, and after everybody said this, he said, okay, now what are we going to do about it? And, uh, I said, uh, I said, we're going to start a celebrate recovery. Now I, I had heard of Celebrate Recovery, but I had no idea what it was. I did I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know how it worked. I still didn't know what recovery was. I was still dealing with uh, I was still I was still dealing with the outfall of depression without the medication that I used to use, you know, and all these, these different things. So you had quit drinking still at this point, but you had not really dealt with any kind of unforgiveness or any of those things that we get taught in recovery. You're just kind of Dry drunk in it, right? Dry drunk. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So 
we go down, we go to Paris to a CR meeting because uh, that's not Paris, know, France, for those who are listening to us. That's right, Paris, right. <laughs> right, home of the biggest fish fry. Uh, so, so we go to Paris and uh, uh, go to CR, and uh, we walk in the door. And, you know, my, my mindset was we're going to go down here and learn all about this CR so we can bring it back and help all these poor people that need help. You know, that was our fault. <laughs> I've so, heard that story from so many people, including myself. <laughs> right, right. So we go down there and go in and, and uh, go through the Newcomers 101 and everything, you know, in between all, all the groups or whatever. Uh, my I got back beside my wife and I said, uh, uh, I said, I don't care if anybody else comes or not. We need this. And, uh, and she agreed, you know, and, uh, so we went back and I got in touch with state rep and, uh, it was kind of, it was weird because, you know, there, we didn't have any experience with it. And most of the time they want somebody who's been through step studies and this kind of thing, but there wasn't any race, there wasn't any way to do that. You know, there was no, the closest one to us was like 30 miles away. So we just started learning all we could. We went through, uh, we got some people together, a handful of people together and went through step studies, um, and started, uh, you know, started doing this thing and started uh, coming to terms with the with uh, the reasons why we went down that road to begin with. You know, um, what was uh, some big takeaways from your step study? Because I know for maybe our listeners who don't know what we're talking about, you know, when you do a step study, you're working through the steps of recovery that we talk about on our show. You know, there's 12 steps. Um, what was your big takeaway? Maybe one, maybe maybe the big takeaway out of all of that. What, what was the one thing you were missing the most out of? Well, I remember, uh, and there's, there's some of my story I can't share. I share in small group and it's CR and stuff, you know, but, uh, but there's still some people around that I can't, you know, I don't want to uh, hurt by some of my story, you know, or whatever. But, um, but I remember in lesson one, one of the things that really sticks out in my mind, I think it's in lesson one or two. It asked what the big family secret is. I knew you were fixing to say that. <laughs> I knew you were fixing to say that because that's actually mentioned like three times in those step studies. Well, that's what happened. So yeah. in, in the first one, you know, when it came to me, I was like, well, we don't we don't really have a family secret. But then it comes back in like the seventh lesson. And I'm like, I got a list this time, you know. <laughs> so, and it was for me, the big takeaway was coming to terms with the fact that uh, you know, depression, dealing with depression and, and all these things is not necessarily just a spiritual deficiency. You know what I mean? There's other, yeah. other aspects to it. There's other things to it. I, I mean, a spiritual deficiency can cause depression, I think, but that's not, that's not, that's not what's always, you know, that's not always the case. Uh, and uh, I, yeah, I think I really... I'm sorry. You're not you're not a bad person because you're you have depression or anxiety. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and it's you know I think all of us deal with it on some level, uh, you know. Uh, but the biggest thing for me with the step studies is that's when I started seeing, and I know I've heard you say this right. I think I've heard both of y'all say this, but that's when it started becoming a discipleship model for me instead of just a recovery program. That's when I started to see that, uh, you know. In church on Sunday, we call it sanctification. Uh, on Friday night, we call it recovery. You can call it what you want to, but we all need this. You know, uh, we all have areas in our life where we need God to uh, to help us through, and and that's an ongoing thing. You know, I mean, I still, I mean, I find things 
fairly regular that, you know, that, um, that I need God's grace in. And, and, you know, I think that's biblical, uh, you know, and if you have problems finding any of those things, ask your wife, she'll be glad to point them out for you. She will. She will. (laughs) (laughs) I I know my wife does that regularly for me. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Ben, I think that it's great to see how your your story, um, you know, I hear from you, what I hear from a lot of people is that, well, my story isn't that great. And, and I cringe when I hear that. And, and I don't mean to say that about you, but just I, I know that everybody likes to try to compare their story to someone else's like, oh, I don't have the DUIs you've got, or I don't have the drug addiction that you have or, or whatever. We, always, we all tend to compare our stories with one another. Um, and ultimately what it is is that we're struggling with this the sin issue um, we're struggling with a, a hurt habit or hang up something that we're dealing with and that's one of the things that our show has we've tried to do and I know Jason and I and, and you as well you, you lean back to maybe a drinking uh, problem or a drug addiction and I heard depression many times during your story um, but as you kind of said there at the end that we all struggle with something and that's what we've tried to the message that we've tried to promote here on Soberholic is that we're all struggling with something in our life. You know, we've had testimonies of sexual addictions and food addictions, and the list goes on and on. And maybe it's not even an addiction, like you said, just depression. That doesn't mean you're addicted to feeling down or upset. It just you're struggling with something. And um, you know, it's cool to not to know that you're not alone. Like when you mentioned your pastor talking to you. Um, about what what are you going to do about this addiction problem? And there's no addiction groups or recovery groups in Dover, Tennessee. Well, we're going to start one. You know, we want other people to know there's other people that struggle that they're not all alone. And I hope that's what your story shares with the people who listen today to know that they're not alone and that your story doesn't have to be um, full of you know jail or prison or any of those things. That it can be. You know, coming from a good good family home. You know, that was me. My I can't blame any of my struggles on my parents. My parents were good parents. Mm-hmm. They may have not have parented the same way your parents did, but what they did was not my fault. Now, like you, I would have blamed them for my faults because I didn't want to take responsibility of it. Just like you mentioned, what well, was your family's fault? Because surely it wasn't your fault. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's I completely identify with those things and. Uh, the cool thing is, if you want to call it cool, is that even though our stories may be different, they really look similar, you know, the the way they go, the way they progress. And um, I do like how you, and I wish we'd have had more time to go into more detail with some of it about how, you know, you really struggle with the faith part and your belief in Jesus and, and how you got through all of that. But um I really liked how you were open and honest as a Christian and would say, well, I thought that it was really just about putting a, your game face on and, and saying good things and acting right and doing right. And that's been my belief, or not my belief, but my, the way I've actually experienced it, is that Christianity, just because you make a, uh, a statement of faith in Jesus, doesn't mean that everything's rainbows and butterflies. In fact, right. It, it may be harder days to come than better yes. days. But, you know, as you mentioned, studying your Bible, we have um, scripture in front of us. It's almost like we, we talk about in our recovery meetings is 
that is a manual, um, the, the game book, you know, the playbook, I guess is what I'm trying to say, of how to navigate it all. And so if you were on a football team, you didn't have any kind of plays to play, um, to run, then you just scramble around in chaos. But mm-hmm. God is not an author of confusion. He gives us step-by-step instructions on how to play this, this game, how to live this life. And uh, we find that. And the cool thing, as you mentioned, is, um, you know, we do one thing on church. We call it sanctification. But on, on whatever night your recovery meeting may be on, we call it recovery. And, you know, for me, recovery, um, at least Christian recovery, is really just, you know, the Bible for the simple-minded folk like me. You know, that can just get, you really dumb it down because I wasn't raised in church. My family really wasn't brought me up in church. And so I needed it really spoon-fed to me in the beginning. And that's what I got. You know, and I loved it. These folks in recovery loved me where I was at, and they just easily gave it to me until I could understand what I was hearing. Right. Well, um, Ben, I want to kind of close this up with um, these four questions that we ask all of our our guests. And I did send you these questions, so I want our listeners to know if you mess it up, it's all on you. You had plenty, well, I say plenty of time. Literally, you had a day to um, review and come up with your questions on here. But while you are working and doing all your multitasking, which I've learned that you can do a lot of, you can play in bands, you can um, (laughs) go to bars, you can do all of those things. So thinking about these questions while you work, they shouldn't have been too difficult, but these are questions we ask everybody and we like to, um, well, first of all, we glean a lot of information out of this. My first question is always selfish because I'm always looking for things to read or listen to that make me a better person. Um, and the first question is this, can you name a book other than the Bible? Cause everybody tries to go to the Bible, right. um, but can you name a book other than the Bible movie or podcast that has changed the way that you look at an area of your life? Yes, um, there and there's some. Uh, this was hard for me because there's some honorable mentions also. But um, you know, I love Cast the Characters by Max Licato and uh, The Crossing the Switchblade by David Wilkerson and mm-hmm. The Sanctuary of Outcast by uh, Neil White. But my favorite book, probably that's uh, that uh, has really made me look at things different, is uh, uh, it's called Addictions: A Banquet in the Grave uh, by Edward T. Welch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a uh, it is a real good. It, it brings the idea of recovery and addiction to the cross, um, and does it well. I think hmm. so. Yeah. What was the name of that one more time? Uh, it's called uh, Addictions, and then the or Addiction. I'm sorry, and the subtitle is A Banquet in the Grave. Okay, I've never heard of that one. That's cool. Uh, Edward T. Welch is the author, and huh? yes. So number two, if. I love this one. This was the deep thinking question. So if you had a blank billboard to share advice for the world, what phrase would you put on it? Um, his grace really is sufficient. Cool deal. Cool deal. I, yeah. I think way too many of us uh, in recovery and church still try to carry it ourselves too much, you know? Mm. All right, Jason, what scripture is that? That's like Corinthians something, right? Uh, yeah. Ben, you know? Uh, um, no, I don't write off hand. Second Deuteromans. Uh, Deuteromans? Three, uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's all, you know, it's almost like we want, 
we want to be able to, you know, we want to make things right ourselves. You know, we don't want to accept that forgiveness. And, you know, biblically, that's almost blasphemy to, yeah. you know, to, to think that what Christ did ain't enough, you know. Hmm. His grace is sufficient. Yeah. Uh, number three, uh, when talking about the 12 steps, what is your favorite step? Um, externally step, uh, step 12, uh, because, you know, that's what keeps me going. We have the ministry, you know, we have an outreach ministry that we do and, um, you know, and, uh, uh, we have meetings right now, five nights a week, you know, I'm not at all of them, but I mean, between step studies and recovery meetings, uh, at the ministry, we run a coffee shop that, uh, that turns into a meeting space at night and, and step 12 is what keeps me going and keeps me focused. Um, internally step one because uh, I constantly find myself going back to step one and um, and looking for that next thing it's going to bring, you know, that we're going to work on and brings me closer to God, you know. Awesome. Well, step four, I mean, the, the, the fourth question is more so um, to, to let people know more about you um, or maybe how they can reach you. So that's simply it. How can people find out more about you? Uh, they can, uh, we got a Facebook page is common grounds, coffee and hands feet ministries is our Facebook page. Uh, my email is, uh, contact at hands and feet ministries.org. Um, but don't look at the website. It looks like a third grade project. It's awful. Uh, we, <laughs> we haven't, we haven't, uh, had the time to really do much with the website and it's terrible. So, uh, well, but yeah, that's my email. I know you're, you're too humble to mention it, but did didn't Hands and Feet Ministry, that's your ministry, didn't it win some special award last year? Yes, it did. We got a, a Tennessee Department of uh, Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services uh, recognized Hands and Feet Ministries as a recovery congregation of the year for the state of Tennessee. Tennessee is great. I know y'all had Jamie Harper on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, man, Jamie's a great person, and and, uh, 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 and there's several more like him, you know, Will Taylor, Monty Burks, uh, but they, they have a uh, recovery department that kind of that's uh that's just focused on faith-based recovery and it's a great thing yes all right man well uh, i would tell anybody if they're ever out in dover tennessee to come look for you your coffee shop your recovery program it's hard not to run into you you're doing so many things in recovery out there but um you know just super great uh, group of people out there and i know y'all welcome me just like a brother out there so thanks for coming on the show um thanks for being willing to share your heart um in your life with other people and to let them know that there's hope i mean you're you truly are you're a picture of hope so thanks so much for coming on the show and being with us thank you i appreciate it so much thanks, oh, jason. thank you jason Jason, that brings us to the close of another one, man. So um, I guess it will be next week when we we air again. So until next week, I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics. Soberholics.